Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. Luke, chapter 17, verses 1 to 10. The message today is entitled, Forgiveness by Faith, the Christian Duty. Would you stand, please, for the reading of God's Word? And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would grant us grace by the Holy Spirit, that we would see and behold wondrous things from your law. Lord, bless us, strengthen us, encourage us, rebuke us, equip us today through your holy word. We commit our time to you now in the name of Jesus. Amen. may be seated. Several weeks ago, we had a a time of dedication, dedicating children to the Lord. Families stood here before their church family and before the Lord, and they had brought their young children. There were seven children that were dedicated just a few weeks ago. And one of the questions that I ask the parents is, do you promise to live before this child? in such a way as to not cause them to stumble. Meaning, do you promise to live in a manner that is reflective of the gospel so they will see the truth of the gospel through your marriage? And then the congregation standing, we ask the congregation the same thing. Do you promise to live before these children 
relationally as a congregation in such a way as to not put a stumbling block before them. In other words, your relationships reflect either the truth about the gospel or a lie about the gospel. And what we see in this text is that refusing to deal with sin and forgive sin in the body of Christ causes great stumbling to the next generation. There's nothing in the community of faith that will cause little children to stumble like two professing Christians who refuse to be reconciled. When Christians won't confront sin, confess sin, and forgive sin, the reality of the gospel is not just blurred, it's destroyed, it's mocked, it's lied about. And Jesus said it would be better for the one who causes a little one to stumble to have a millstone hung around their neck and thrown into the sea. So, for the sake of the children growing up in our church, for the sake of the reputation of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of your own soul, here are three exhortations from this text. Number one, don't neglect your Christian duty to properly deal with relational sin. Don't neglect your Christian duty to properly deal with relational sin. We'll see that in verses one to four. Number two, don't try to do your duty in your own strength. Verses five to six. And number three, don't pat yourself on the back for doing your duty. Verses seven to 10. Let's look first of all in verses one to four. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. The word for temptations to sin are stumbling blocks. And the way that it's written in the original language more literally in kind of a wooden way is this, it is impossible for stumbling blocks not to come. Why is it impossible for stumbling blocks not to come because we're sinners? Yes, we've been forgiven. Yes, we're no longer under the dominion of sin. We've been set free from the dominion of sin, but we still have indwelling sin, and it is our responsibility to put sin to death daily and to deal with sin regularly. Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Now, some people take little ones to sin as young Christians, immature Christians, all Christians. And that would be one interpretation of that, and many interpreters hold that view. 
And there are others who see this as these little ones as children. And I hold that view, and here's the reason why. In Matthew chapter 18, there's three places where this phrase is used. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 5 and 6, it says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be thrown into the depth of the sea. And that's in the context of verse 1 in chapter 18. It says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So literally there's a child here that Jesus is using as an example. And he says, whoever causes one of these little ones, he, he might even be pointing to the child, one of these little ones. In verse 10 of chapter 18, it says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And verse 14, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So I'm thinking about the children, and I'm thinking about how many times children see a lie about the gospel in the midst of the congregation. That could be from their parents. It could be from those that are friends of their parents. It could be in the congregation where they don't see the truth of the gospel upheld uh, in relationships. So number one, don't neglect your Christian duty to properly deal with relational sin. Verse 3 of chapter 17 says, pay attention to yourselves. Take heed, listen up, be careful with this. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him, Jesus says. You must. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, the apostle Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In Colossians, Paul says this in chapter 3, verses 12 and following. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, 
bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Dave Harvey says this, forgiveness is not the stuff of the extraordinary saint. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel and therefore is to be a defining characteristic of every believer. He says again, extending true forgiveness is clear and persuasive evidence that we have been forgiven by God. The bottom line is that forgiven sinners forgive sin. Dave Harvey writes that in a book called When Sinners Say I Do. It's a book on marriage, but in that book, there are two chapters. One on forbearance, the Christian privilege of forgiving people who have wronged you, who have sinned against you, and they don't even know they've sinned against you, and you forbear their sin and you forgive them without ever telling them. The next chapter is on forgiveness full and free, and it has to do with letting a brother or sister know when they've offended you, when you've been hurt by them, and you bring their sin to them, you confront them, and they ask for forgiveness, and you grant forgiveness full and free. Forgiven sinners forgive sin. You must forgive them. So Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. The indication is that it is possible for us to be caught off guard by this. It's possible for us not to pay attention to these issues of relational sin. We avoid it, we think it's just gonna go away, we sweep it under the rug, and then what happens? Bitterness anger, hatred, avoidance. And if it's two members of the same congregation, what they may find is they used to sit in the center section and then they find themselves sitting one on the left and one on the right. And it's obvious that there's a rift and everybody knows it and they won't deal with it. You know, every month when we come together to the Lord's table, that rhythm is a reminder. Get your relationships in order. Go to your brother, go to your sister. If there's something between you, forgive. If you need to confront sin, then graciously confront sin. If somebody needs to confess sin, then humbly confess sin. But if a brother or sister confesses their sin, they repent of their sin, we must forgive. And Jesus said, if he sins against you seven times in the day, and he turns to you or returns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And you say, 
Well, what if it's not genuine? What happens is we start bringing up all the what ifs in our mind. Well, he keeps doing it, so obviously the time he repented before was not genuine, and so I don't have to forgive him. But Jesus said, if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And you might be thinking, that's impossible. Or it's foolish. That's not wise. That's like casting pearls before swine. The apostles thought the same thing. In fact, they said, Lord, increase our faith. That's impossible. We can't do that. Which leads us to number two. Don't try to do your duty in your own strength. Forgive by faith. Forgiveness by faith is not faith in the person. See, a lot of times you'll see stickers that say, believe or have faith. But having faith in the wrong object does you no good. You could have faith in a beautiful antique chair that is so old the glued joints have dried out and all the joints are failing and you could have faith in that chair and sit in it and you fall to the ground because it couldn't hold you up. The key is the object of our faith, the strength of the object of our faith, the trustworthiness of the object of our faith. It must be faith in God. You see, in order to forgive others who have sinned against you even seven times and to continue to forgive them limitlessly, generously, in order to do that, you've got to entrust the situation to the Lord. See, He's the one that knows whether their repentance is genuine it's not up to you to figure it all out. It's up to you to forgive. See, you can release them to the Lord, trust the Lord, and forgive. Why? Because forgiven sinners forgive sin. It's the evidence that you have been forgiven. So don't try to do your duty in your own strength. You, you do it by faith. A lot of times people say, well, I don't want to be fake. I want to be authentic. So I'm not going to say I forgive you unless I feel like it or unless I know that I do. And, and this is not asking you to be fake. This is asking you to have faith and trust the Lord. Forgive your brother. Forgive your sister. Verse 6 says, And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. 
Jesus is telling them, you want me to increase your faith. And it's not about the quantity of your faith. It's not about how strong your faith is, how big your faith is. It's just the quality of your faith. It's just genuine faith. Just a little bit of genuine faith. If you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, the tiniest amount, you could do the impossible, like forgive. So number one, don't neglect your Christian duty to properly deal with relational sin. Number two, don't try to do your duty in your own strength. Have faith in the Lord. He's commanded you to forgive. Trust him with his command and your obedience to his command. And then number three, don't pat yourself on the back for doing your duty. Jesus says in verse seven, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he is coming from the field, come in at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare dinner for me, prepare supper for me, and dress properly, gird yourself up and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you can go eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Verse 10, so you also... When you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. When you've done all that, when you've done what you were commanded, forgiving your brother who turns and repents, when you've done what you were commanded to do, don't think yourself special. Don't get puffed up with pride. Well, I'm the righteous one because I granted forgiveness and that was impossible, but yet I did it. No. By the grace of the Lord and in line with the gospel of Jesus, you just did your duty. That's why Harvey said forgiveness is not the stuff of the extraordinary saint. Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel and therefore is to be a defining characteristic of every believer. See, this is all of us. And all of us have to forgive by faith. It's our Christian duty. It's our obligation. It's our responsibility. If you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, you've been forgiven You've been granted eternal life. Who are you to withhold forgiveness from a brother or sister? And Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And in verse 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? I mean, Peter thought he was being generous. 
He thought he was leveling it up seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And he tells a parable about the kingdom of heaven and about the king who forgave an incredible debt of a servant. And then when that servant was forgiven, that servant went and tried to collect small, tiny debts of other people, his peers. And when one wouldn't pay, he put him in prison. And the king found out about it and delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. And at the end of the parable, Jesus says this in verse 35 of Matthew 18, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's the same kind of woe to you language that we see in Luke chapter 17. It's better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble, than to refuse to forgive, to refuse to be reconciled. Woe to you. You're telling a lie about the gospel. You're not only blurring the gospel for others to see, you're mocking the gospel and telling a lie. Well, before we close, I just want to talk about forgiveness just for a minute because I know you're thinking right now, you might even be scanning anybody in the congregation that might have, uh, they might be offended by you or you might have offended and you, you don't want to let anything pass. You, you want to deal with relational brokenness. So I want to just define forgiveness. What is forgiveness? It's canceling the record of the debt. And you're actually absorbing the hurt. You're acknowledging that you were hurt. You're canceling the debt, absorbing the hurt, and freeing them from that debt, no longer to hold it against them. Ken Sandy says this, forgiveness can be a costly activity. It'll cost you something. When you cancel a debt, it does not simply just disappear. Instead, you absorb a liability that someone else deserves to pay. When someone sins against you, they hurt you. This is not some Eastern religion that you just act as if it didn't happen, that it's not reality. No, you know it's reality. You recognize that you're a sinner, they're a sinner, and it is inevitable for us to sin against one another. It's impossible for stumbling blocks not to come. But you absorb the liability that someone else deserves to pay, Sandy says. And he says, similarly, forgiveness requires that you absorb certain effects of other person's sins and you release that person from liability to punishment.
Is there anybody right now that you are holding a grudge that there is unforgiveness between you and a brother or a sister? And I would urge you today, let's get it right today. Woe to you if you don't get it right. You see, Christ accomplished our forgiveness on the cross. He accomplished it. He took the penalty that you and I deserve. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. He bore the wrath of God in our place. Justice was satisfied. God didn't wince at sin. He didn't wink at it. He punished sin through his son on the cross. So Christ accomplished our forgiveness through his shedding of his own blood on the cross. And he was raised again on the third day proving that God accepted the payment for sin. Proof that forgiveness was accomplished. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's your duty to forgive your brother when they sin against you. And if there's brokenness, then in humility, go to them and tell them. Tell them they've sinned against you. Tell them that you were hurt. Get the log out of your own eye and go to them when you can see clearly and confront, giving them the opportunity to humbly confess and you lovingly forgive limitlessly because that's the gospel. And that tells the truth about the gospel. And if we cultivate that kind of environment in the home and in the church, the little children will grow up seeing the truth that forgiveness is real, that sin is real, and it has to be dealt with, but God forgives us freely, limitlessly. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to forgive one another by faith. Whenever there's a sin, whenever there's an offense against one another, give us the courage by faith to go to our brothers and sisters in humility so that we can be reconciled. Lord, would you bless us? Thank you for the unity that we are experiencing in the body of Christ right now here at Bull Street. Lord, I'm thankful for the brothers and sisters here who love each other and forgive each other. And Lord, thank you for the evidence of your grace at work all the time in our congregation. But Lord, we recognize that we're all sinners and it is inevitable for us to offend one another, to hurt one another, to sin against one another. So Lord, when that comes, not if it comes, but when that happens, Lord, I pray that we would obey the scriptures and we would forgive one another limitlessly for the glory of our Christ, in whose name that we pray, amen.